Well, hello there, Word of Grace. So glad once again that you are joining us online. It's just going to be a great experience for us to go through the Scriptures together as we've been doing over these past few weeks, going verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians. And can I tell you, this has been an amazing experience. We've been handling large sections of Scripture throughout this where we've been reading three to four chapters almost every time through every one of these messages. And I hope that this has been enriching to you. One quick commercial that I want to give you and remind you about is that we have the study guides that are created for you to be able to take the message deeper every single week. You can find those on our website on the resources page. Scroll down to where you see discipleship tools and you'll find all sorts of resources there. But there you'll see a link to the weekend study guides for the sermon. So you can download those and you and your family or you and some friends or maybe you jump online do a Google Hangout or a Zoom call, and you can do some FaceTiming and maybe uh, go through those things together with friends or maybe even in your community group or with other believers. What a great way for us to just stay connected during this time and for us to continue to grow in His Word. And man, this has been just a great uh, thing for us to do as a church going through this and for me to teach in this expository way where we're actually handling the Scriptures in this way, it's teaching us so much about the Word and how to handle the Scripture. So today we're going to be wrapping this up. We're going to go through chapters 15 and 16 today through the book of 1 Corinthians. Remember, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth, and he has been systematically dealing with different issues that the church has been facing. He started off talking about how there were divisions in the church. He was concerned about that, so he addresses that. And then he moves from that to dealing with sexual immorality, food being sacrificed to idols, and then he moves over into dealing with all sorts of other issues. And last week we talked about dealing with the issue of misunderstanding spiritual gifts. So as we talk about this issue today, this was probably one of the bigger ones that was a misunderstanding that was causing division in the church in Corinth, and that was about the bodily resurrection of the dead. So today the title of my sermon is The Gospel Fixes the future. So Paul moves here to address this final and probably most important piece that the church in Corinth was really divided over. And this issue was the bodily resurrection of the dead. So there were really two schools of thought that were going on in Greek culture in that time based on what those people may have done in their own pagan worship practices or what they grew up believing. One view, one school of thought was you get one shot at life, just make the best of it, do whatever you can, you know, make sure that you enjoy this experience because when you're dead, you're dead, it's done, your worm food, it's over. The second school of thought was, okay, so there is this afterlife, but you need to understand your body is bad, your spirit is good, and so you need to get rid of the body so that you can have this good spirit and live forever. But then Paul comes along talking about how Jesus' body was raised. And that was very confusing to these people who had these two different trains of thoughts. They didn't understand why this mattered. And then not only the fact that Jesus' body was raised, but also those who are his followers believe that their bodies will also be raised. That did not make sense to this Greek culture. And so because of that, he wanted them to understand that this was an essential piece to the redemption story and why it mattered. And he was trying to explain that to them. So let's go to the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
Don't forget, as maybe you're turning to 1 Corinthians 15, you can also follow along on version. Just search for a live event. You can type in Word of Grace Community Church in Sheboygan Falls, and you should be able to find it. Or if you actually live in the area, you should perhaps see it pop up if you have your uh, settings turned on to where they can identify where you're at. So 1 Corinthians 15, make sure you follow along here. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, And that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, meaning some have died. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, who was his brother, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He's talking about Paul and his experience uh, having seen the risen Savior. Verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed." See, Paul says something very important here, and he's establishing something. He said that Christ died for our sins. He was buried on the third day, and then he rose. And all of these things Paul followed with saying, he rose from the dead in accordance with Scripture. Paul said that because he was wanting to establish something here, that it is the authority of Scripture that's validating the foundation of our faith. This is the starting point. So if Paul's going to make an argument here about why the bodily resurrection of the dead is important, he does so by establishing his foundation. And his foundation is all of these things we already agree that we believe. We like the forgiveness of sin part. We like the reconciled part. We like the fact that Jesus has now made a way for us to be uh, reconciled to God and be called sons and daughters of God. All of that is in accordance with Scripture. So now guess what? This other part about him being risen from the dead is also in accordance with Scripture. So he uses that as that foundational piece. And then he moves on to talk about the criteria that he has as being an apostle. So he's speaking to his own authority now for what he's about to say. He's saying, listen, I, I get it. Like, for you to be an apostle, you have to be someone who has seen the resurrected Savior. And, and, and I am that, but man, I, I'm, I'm really low on the totem pole. I'm the least because I persecuted the church. And it's not me or anything I've done that's made me worthy to be an apostle. It's rather the grace of God. And so he's giving his criteria to let people know what I'm about to say to you. This is how I can say these things because A, I'm starting with Scripture and B, I have the office and the authority of an apostle. So he's giving weight to Christ's atoning death and his victory over death through the resurrection from the grave and his appearing to these who are called apostles. And if you believe in Christ's sacrifice being payment, being fully payment of our sin, then you must believe in his resurrection. You cannot choose which part of the story 
you want to believe. And I think that that's part of what Paul is trying to communicate here, is that if we're going to believe this is based on Scripture, then this is also based on Scripture. So he goes further into his uh, argument here in verse 12. Let's keep on reading. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found so uh, to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Wow, that's a really heavy statement there. Because faith in Christ's sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection gives us hope both now and for eternity. In other words, I believe this, this last uh, piece that Paul said here in verse 19, that if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied, you should not be expecting to live the best life you will ever experience right now on this earth. Because this is not your best life now. This is part of us having hope in Christ, but yet not experiencing the fullness of what He's done until we are with Him in heaven forever. There is hope beyond here and now because Jesus set the stage for a total redemption, not a partial redemption, a total redemption. You see, when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, it set in motion a sinful course that this world has been on ever since. But that's not always going to be so because through faith in Christ, we are made new in spirit, but the totality of that redemptive work that Christ paid for will not be experienced fully until we are reunited with our heavenly bodies, and that will represent the fullness of this redemption. So what are we doing until then? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Let's go over to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 addresses this in verse 18 through 25. Romans chapter 8 verse 18 through 25. Paul, same author, writing to the church in Rome, he says this in verse 18 through 25 of chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Here we see that in this text that Paul is letting us know, he's letting the Romans know, and, and we can clearly see here 
that he's saying there's this groaning in this suffering time that we're in. In other words, the goal is not for your life to be perfect and everything to go according to your plan when you're living here on this earth. Yes, you are positionally justified by faith. That is a now statement. That's not a gonna be. That's a now statement. You are forgiven. You are free in Christ right now because of what Jesus has done for you. And we thank him for that. And we are positionally justified. We now have access to God through Jesus Christ because he is our mediator. He's our high priest. His blood has paid for us to be able to now be called sons and daughters of God because we have been forgiven and justified positionally, but yet we still see stuff happening in our world. We still see suffering. We still see what we would call bad things happening all the way around, and we wonder what's going on with that? What's the deal with that? Some people think that if you're a Christian, nothing bad is supposed to happen to you. Well, I got news for you. Um, If you would open your Bible and actually read the words of Jesus, he said that there's going to be tough stuff happen. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be trial. And actually, our suffering for Christ is suffering with Christ. It's part of our identification. And Paul actually rejoiced in that. And he encouraged the church to rejoice in that and actually thank God when we endure these these trials because it's actually for our good and ultimately for the glory of God. It's not something that we should always just go, oh, well, why is this happening to me? And we should always feel sorry for ourselves because we're going to experience difficulty. Christianity is not your golden ticket to get everything happening your way right away. And if you think that's what Christianity is all about, I'm sorry, somebody sold you a bag of goods. That's not the way that it is intended to be. Because this earth, this, this life here, the way that we're living in the earth, man, this is not the goal. This is not This is not the prize that we're chasing after. This is not the reason we're running the race so we can live our best life here in this world. We are living for the glory of God, and we know that ultimately we're going to be able to enjoy Him forever. And we can now enjoy Him now in the present. It's not a delayed enjoyment. It's just I'm not fully able to enjoy Him the way that I could if if, if I wasn't living in the middle of all this junk. And guess what? One day you're not going to. One day you're going to be living uh, in, in this perfect paradise. And that gives us hope because we know I can experience Him now. I can know Him now. But there's also going to be an eternity that I'm going to be able to spend with Him And here we see that even creation is groaning. Creation's like longing for this redemption. Like creation's like, oh, all the the turmoil, the sickness, the disease, all the things that we see on the news that would want to strike fear into the hearts of people. Man, all this stuff, creation is going, oh, when is that redemption coming? I'm groaning for that. I'm longing for that. And then further on, if you keep on reading in verse 26 and 27 and 28, Paul begins to talk about in Romans chapter 8 where we ourselves, we also are groaning and we are waiting for that total redemption as well. That's where he also says in Romans 8 and 28 that all these things are going to work together for the good of those who are called, those who are, are, are serving him, those who are loving him, called according to his purpose. That should give us hope. That should give us peace because this world is not the end. It is not our ultimate destiny but yet we have hope right now, positionally, because we are seen as righteous in the eyes of God because of faith in Christ. But we only see in part. We only experience in part 
we're anxiously awaiting, and we should be full of faith. That's why it's important to gather together. That's why it's important to be with other believers, to be connected to the body, because we need to remind one another, especially as you see the day of the Lord approaching, as you see evil ramping up, as you see selfishness ramping up, as you see isolation ramping up, as you see all of these challenges ramping up in our world, and these voices getting louder and louder. Fear could be the response, and that's what the enemy would love, is for us just to respond in fear. But faith responds with hope. It's almost this joyful optimism of knowing that, hey, I may experience some bad things. People I love may experience some bad things, but I'm not serving God so I can be exempt from experiencing bad things. I'm serving him because he is worth it. He is my creator, and I love him, and I am overjoyed that he has seen fit to send his son to die so that I could know new life. And my response is an overwhelming joy of going, whether things go my way or not, if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear evil. Not because evil isn't going to try to come and mess with me. No, because he's comforting me. He's, he's with me. And I know that, that even if this, this world, even if my, my life is cut short uh, uh, due to my own expectations of what I think I deserve and, and am entitled to so far as a length of years, if my life is cut short beyond my own expectations and my own hopes, that's still not the end because death has lost its sting. The grave has lost its victory because I don't have to fear death because I'm in Christ. That gives me hope. That gives me joy. That gives me peace. And Paul is trying to let them know that part of this full redemption is going to be this bodily resurrection where all of these things are going to be made new. God's intended purpose is going to be fully brought forth from where we saw his perfection in the Garden of Eden and then the big mess that humanity has made. We're going to see once again that perfection and we're going to be able to live in that perfection. But now is just not that time. So what do we do now? We wait with hope and we live on purpose for a purpose greater than ourselves. Let's keep on reading verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, but also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? So here Paul, he's saying, hey, listen, either, we're either in Adam 
fallen man, we're a part of that group, or we're in Christ. And we only obtain salvation through faith in Christ alone, not some proxy, not some ritual. And even Paul asked the Corinthians, if you guys don't believe in the bodily resurrection, then why do some of you practice this whole baptism for the dead thing? I I had to look this up because I honestly haven't read that a whole lot and I haven't dealt with that issue a whole lot. I do know that um, Mormons believe in baptism for the dead. Um, that you can actually uh, baptize for someone in proxy to be your placeholder if you were dead and that that was some sort of a symbol that they could possibly be saved. I also read some things in my study that some people believed that they would actually uh, be baptized uh, maybe on top of someone's grave as a way uh, to maybe uh, give that family hope or whatever the case was. And a lot of scholars are divided on what this means. But may be very clear, Scripture does not support baptism from the dead because baptizing the dead would contradict the bigger message of the gospel, especially as shared by Paul that we are justified by faith in the grace of God in which we stand, not in rituals and not works. I think that it's probably most likely that Paul is addressing some Greek custom or another problem within the Corinthian church. There's a lot of different layers and a lot of different schools of thoughts on that, and I'm okay with being wrong, but uh, we can disagree about that and still be friends. But uh, you have to make that judgment call, but you can look very clearly in Scripture. This is not something that I believe the church is supposed to be practicing, um, and I don't think Paul was affirming that either. He just doesn't really go into detail a lot here. Uh, he mentions it just in the context of trying to help them to see that, hey, you guys are acting like you believe in something and you're doing this. And I think his point was, if you're doing this, why are you doing this and, and you're, you're wanting to argue with me and be divided over the fact that the, your bodies are going to be raised? Why would you even go through this process if you didn't have some sort of hope in this? He was trying to show them, hey, you guys kind of believe this, And I'm trying to connect with you and show you that this is actually part of the total redemption that Christ has bought and paid for through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Let's read the next few verses in um, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 30. He says this, Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame." See, this is why at Word of Grace, one of our core values is we say yes to greater things because we are called to live in light of eternity. That's why this is one of our core values at the church because we see over and over throughout the ministry of Jesus, throughout the New Testament church, that we see this value of saying yes to greater things by living in light of eternity, understanding I'm not laying up treasures on this earth, but I'm laying up treasures in heaven. He said, listen, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, if we don't believe this stuff, and we only want to believe that it's just for here and now, he said, then let's just eat and drink. 
for tomorrow we die. In other words, YOLO, you only live once. It's just what we're going to do. We're just going to go do whatever we want to do and let the chips fall where they may. And this is where the mantra of our society gets this idea of if it feels good, do it. I deserve to be happy, and, and so we prioritize our happiness as the goal. Well, well, how come everyone else's life is going well, and they're all so happy, and, and I deserve to be happy? And that's where we get that from, is because we think that we're just living for today. We're just living for the moment. Oh, man, you know, let's take all the risks and do all the things and have all the fun and just do whatever, because at the end of the day, I want to be able to say I had fun and I was happy. And so we just give in to self, we give in to desires that we have that are selfish. And listen, our desires, if they are not pointed towards God, they are corrupt. They are bad. We think they're good for us, and they are not. How many times do we have to tell little kids things they desire are not good for them? But yet, when we see in Scripture where God tells us things that we think are good for us, that we try to justify aren't good for us, then we go, oh, well, you know, I mean, I, I'm just going to do this just for a little while, or, oh, this isn't a big deal. Why don't we justify those things? We're doing the same thing the little kid does. Yeah, it's not good. I don't know about you guys, but our family, while we've been trying to practice social distancing in our home, um, the few times we've been successful at it, um, we have found ourselves eating garbage. I cannot tell you how many oatmeal cream pies I have eaten this past week. Um, I, I forgot how delicious they were. Um, and, and, and I tell you what, little Debbie ha is, is, is very present in our home. And uh, man, we have been just eating garbage. And matter of fact, uh, last, last night I had to get some real food and I had to call and get that delivered because man, I had just been, I didn't realize how much garbage I've been eating. But at the same time, that's not good for me. Just because I desire that, just because I want that, it doesn't mean I should do that. We understand that from a natural point of view. But when we desire what God wants, that's how we learn how to fall in line and please Him. And what, how do we do that? It's by faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So I have to trust I have to submit my will, say, Lord, not my will, but your will. I have to die to myself daily. I have to crucify my flesh because this is not something I decide to do one time and then all of a sudden it's fixed and I'm good. And so it's not something that I should be just pursuing every day going, oh, whatever makes me happy. I only live once. I'll just do whatever I want because Paul said that's how you guys are living. And I think that in this particular portion, he's also probably referencing some of the other things he dealt with in the letter earlier that the church had been indulging in. They had been indulging in sexual morality, food sacrifice to idols. I think he's kind of tying this all together going, this is how you guys are living, but I'm trying to tell you that all these things you've been doing, you've been serving self. You've been living like the resurrection is not going to happen. You're, gonna, you're living like this is something that's just not going to uh, come about. And so because of that, you guys are making all these selfish, terrible choices. Because if you were living like eternity mattered, if you were living like this was actually real, your priorities would be ordered differently. And I think that's what Paul's trying to communicate to them. He said, and if you don't believe this stuff, he said, just go for it. Eat, drink, tomorrow we die. He said, but don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. If you hang around with people like this, if you associate with people who have these values and you're not connecting in Christ-centered community with other believers who are going to encourage you to stay focused and stay on target with what God has called and created us to do and to live for, you're going to get pulled astray. You're going to drift. 
You're going to make those compromises because those influences are surrounding you all the time. Are you surrounded with those godly influences? That's part of saying yes to greater things. Because if I'm going to say yes to greater things, that means I have to say no to lesser things. Well, what are those lesser things? They're the things that are pulling me away from my focus on Him. What are those things in your life? Every one of us has those things. Every one of us knows the, the, the pathway that God is putting us on to, to please Him, and we know when we're off that path as well. I mean, it's pretty obvious to us, but then we begin to justify it. We begin to rationalize it. And that's how I know we know at least where that path starts, because we know when we're off it, because we start to make excuses. We start to go, oh, well, everyone else, or I'm not as bad as so-and-so. We start comparing ourselves to other people. You know, we start pointing fingers, and, and we start, you know, kind of polishing our own trophies by saying, well, look at what I've done. I mean, after all, I'm this. At least I'm not a that. And, and now we're putting ourselves in different categories in order to remove ourselves from the compromise that we're actually indulging in. Paul said, hey, that bad company is going to ruin good morals. It's actually going to lead you down a path where you're going to live like eternity doesn't matter because you were living for today. And even though you may say you believe these things, does your life reflect that? Paul shows the Corinthians, and I believe us today, that we're called to live for something greater than ourselves. And the way we conduct ourselves as ambassadors of Christ, it matters. Let's keep on reading the rest of chapter 15. Verse 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Let's just stop right there. How are the dead raised? Verse 35, what kind of body do they come with? This is the stuff that Christians get tangled up in all the time. We get tangled up in these types of conversations all the time, where we ask this stuff. Well, I want to know the details. If God wanted you to have the details of this, He would have given them to you. He would have told you exactly what it's going to look like, exactly what it's going to be like, exactly the experience, so you could set your expectations accordingly. I don't think God's interested in meeting your expectations. This is where faith comes into play. This is where trust comes into play, because I'm not getting all the details and Paul's trying to say, you foolish person, this doesn't matter. Well, I mean, am I going to be 6'2", 6'3"? I mean, I kind of would like to, you know, you know, maybe if God could kind of take a little off here, you know, maybe, you know, maybe God could, you know, maybe do that. What's, what's the new model going to look like? You foolish person, he's saying you're concerned with the wrong thing. The greater thing is that you're with him forever to enjoy him and to be with your creator. That, that in and of itself, who cares what we look like? What does it matter? You're, you're missing the greater joy of being with God because you're concerned about how the resurrection's going to work out, you big nerd. He said you're, you're worried about the wrong thing. He said you're foolish. Let's stop worrying about the wrong things. Let's stop getting divided over all this silliness. And then people, they want to write books about this. They want to be able to talk about this in detail. They had a vision. It's going to be like this. Whatever. It's so stupid. Anyways, I'm getting off that soapbox. Okay. All right. Back focus. I can hear my wife right now. It's either the Holy Spirit or my wife. Sometimes I can't tell the difference. All right. Here we go. Verse 36, you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. 
and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kennel, kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some sort of other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans and another for animals, another for birds and another for fish. I, I just, I feel like Paul's like talking to them like little kids. He's, he's almost kind of talking down to them a little bit. Okay, there's a different body for birds and fish and seeds and, and you know, all the animals. Okay, so you know how it's different? God wanted it that way. So it's going to be whatever God wants. And that's what I think he's trying to communicate. Verse 40, there are heavenly bodies, there are earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. He's referring to Jesus as the last Adam there. He does this also in Romans chapter 5. Verse 46, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also those who are of the dust, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Hello, somebody. Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality... Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He's telling them, say yes, to greater things. Live like eternity matters. Focus on what really matters in the eyes of God, not on the temporary. He's saying, this is dust. It's perishable. It's going to pass away. So be steadfast. Abound in the work of the Lord. Lay up your treasures in heaven. Make sure your labor is not in vain. Make sure you're living in light of eternity. Make sure you're saying yes to greater things and that you're not getting distracted by bad company or by all these uh, nitpicky details of is everything going to meet your standards or, 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 or whether you're doing this or that and getting caught up in the cycle of this world. But he says here in this moment, he said, be steadfast, be immovable, abound in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, that laying up treasure in heaven, that 
living in light of eternity, even though you may not be able to see the reward right now, sometimes you get to see a little bit of the reward here. Thank God for that. Sometimes you get, you get the warm fuzzies. That's awesome. Sometimes you get to experience some great victories and stories here on earth, but it's not just about experiencing those momentary victories. That's not the goal. The goal is, is heaven. The goal is eternity. The goal is being with him forever. And that's how we keep our eyes fixed and remind one another, especially as we see the day approaching, that the return of the Lord is near and we need to live like eternity matters. Amen? See, the gospel fixes the future because Christ alone gives us hope and purpose beyond today. Outside of Christ, there are no guarantees. We like to feel safe and secure because we trust in a government to give us peace, or we trust in our job to give us peace, or we trust in the latest news to give us peace. I hope you're certainly not trusting in that. But can I tell you that no matter what those entities say or do, that there is no peace like knowing and being confident that you belong to God? There is no peace greater than that. We all want peace from God. We all want to be blanketed in this feeling of everything's going to be okay. And a lot of times when people are distraught, especially like they are in our day and age as we're dealing with this issue uh, worldwide of this virus, I think people are looking for peace from God. They want to be blanketed in this emotional sense of knowing everything's going to be okay. I want to feel safe. I want to feel assured. And so they're looking to get that from the government. They're looking to get that from the news outlets. They're looking to get that from their job. And I want to feel secure. They're looking at that from their bank accounts. They're, they're, they're grasping and looking for this feeling and this emotion and this settling in, in their minds and in their hearts so they can know everything is going to be okay. But can I tell you that there is a greater peace because Jesus said that the type of peace he gives is not like the peace the world gives. Peace the world gives is putting your security in things that can change, putting your security in things that are here today, gone tomorrow, things that can be taken and snatched in a moment's notice. That's the kind of peace the world wants to give, uh, a, 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 a peace that is founded on shifting sand. But Jesus said, the peace I give you is not like the peace that the world gives. Why? Because it's a peace knowing you're right with God. The gospel fixes the future because the gospel makes me right in the eyes of God and I can't do anything to make myself right in the eyes of God. It's all Christ, all by himself. And when I trust in that, when I have been given that faith that I can trust and receive, that I now have my eyes open to the truth of the grace that have been so richly poured out to, to me and I become a recipient of that grace, then I have peace with God. And when I know I have peace with God, then the peace that comes from God can flow in my life. And no matter what circumstance comes near me, no matter what I may be hearing from my job, no matter what I may be hearing from my family, no matter what may be going on physically in my body or in the government or in my community, it doesn't matter because I know I am right with God and this world can't do anything to me. And now I can have a peace and a joy it doesn't mean that those things still don't hurt. It doesn't mean that those things still don't shake me and rattle me. I mean, that's part of the human experience. But where do I go back to after I'm shaken, after I'm rattled, after I hear that news that I didn't want to hear? Where do I go back to? Where, where's my source? What am I trusting in? Because when calamity strikes, you're going to run to your source. 
If your source is your job, you're going to be trying to figure that out. If your source is the government, you're going to be running to that. If your source is the doctors, you're going to be running to that. And, and, and whatever they say and whatever they do is going to determine whether or not you can continue to live without fear and have a sound mind, whatever they say. And oftentimes, if they say the thing you aren't wanting to hear, then your whole world is just upside down and you're doing crazy things like buying truckloads of toilet paper <laughs> because you're trying to bring security. You're trying to bring security. You're trying to bring some sense of hope. And folks, can I tell you that hope comes from knowing that you're right with God? There's no greater hope. There's no greater hope. I can't be right with God in my own eyes because, man, I'm a sinner. I mess up all the time regularly. But it's not dependent upon my performance, but rather it was he who knew no sin became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So now old things are passed away and all things are, are new. And now positionally I am made right. I haven't experienced this full thing yet because I haven't seen him face to face. And, and, and I'm still groaning. I'm still running this race. I'm, I'm, I'm still working out my salvation with fear and trembling. But man, I can do it with joy and peace because I can run back to the source. And that source is my hope and my faith that is rooted and grounded in the gospel. The gospel fixes the future. Because I can know in this world, I will have trials. There will be disease. There will be war. There will be suffering. But no matter what amount of suffering, no matter what amount of heartache I experience, if I belong to God, then I know that death is not the end. I can live life as a Christ follower without the fear of death. Are you hearing this? I can live without the fear of death. I can have peace, not because everything's going to go my way, but rather, I know I can have peace because Jesus has conquered death by his victorious resurrection. And I can be confident that he who began a good work in me, he's faithful to complete it. Creation is going to be fully restored. And our bodies that are prone to sickness, deterioration, pain, and even death will be fully redeemed. This confidence changes my source of hope. This confidence changes the priority in which I live my life. And this confidence gives me peace in the middle of the storm. My hope is in Christ alone. Let's finish reading the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So he's talking to them about the collection for the poor in Jerusalem. And he's addressing some practical pieces here with them. And when he says, follow the pattern of the churches in Galatia, I believe it's also the same pattern that he tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, which I think really is the foundation for New Testament giving, where he begins to talk about it needs to basically be regular, consistent, and it needs to be sacrificial. These are the things that he wants us to do concerning giving. And the, uh, the, the heart piece not the amount piece, but the heart piece is what he's focused on. And I believe that that's uh, what he's kind of reiterating here. But they're going to help the poor people in Jerusalem. And he's given them a little bit of logistics here. Verse 5, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing, but I hope to actually spend some time with you if the Lord permits. 
but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaius because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches in Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Priscilla, or in Prisca, uh, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss, unless there's social distancing. Verse 21, <laughs> I, Paul, write this, greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Something he says here in verse 13, he said, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all you do be done in love. You see, Paul gives final instructions concerning the offering here. He gives his itinerary. He gives his hope for seeing them again and some final instruction. And as we're living in the day that we are, as we're facing fears of uncertainty and of the unknown, church, can I say that this is our generation's moment to stand up and to live, not to live in fear, but to live in Christ, to not put priority on fear of the unknown as the Corinthians were doing with their view of the resurrection, but rather to put our faith and our hope that we have in Him. The gospel fixes our future because the gospel alone gives me the assurance that Christ is enough to forgive my sin, that Christ is enough to defeat the enemy of sin, which is death. And He defeated that enemy on the cross and by His victorious resurrection and then I get to share, you get to share in that victory because He is our hope for the future. So my question, whenever you may be watching this, wherever you may be watching this, in this moment, do you have that hope? What fears are you facing today? What are the things that are consuming your mind, the things that are driving your behaviors? Are you saying yes to greater things or are you living selfishly to make sure that you have the best possible experience you can with what little you've been given here on this earth and you just want to go and live life for yourself or are you looking and living for greater things, eternal things? For some of you, I believe that today is the day of your salvation. For others of you, it is a return to the living uh, God for for, for living for the things of God. Today, you're evaluating that piece of repentance that God has 
wooing you, drawing you back to that place of service and of love and of priority on Him and Him alone. Today, for others, maybe a shifting of priority and focus. Maybe whatever God is doing in you, I don't know. But I can tell you He's worthy of your trust. And if your eyes have been opened today to see your need for Jesus and you want to put your hope in Him, you need to recognize that His death on the cross was for you. He did no wrong, but you did. That sin, that wrong, it needed to be punished because God cannot be good and just and let sin go unpunished. So Jesus, God's own Son, took the punishment that you and I deserved on the cross. He did that because He first loved you. He rose again victoriously over death to give you hope, to know that we will rise with Him, that we will be with Him forever. He may be drawing you by His Holy Spirit today. That drawing that you may be feeling, maybe in your living room or wherever you may be watching, could be the Holy Spirit of God drawing you to a place to open your eyes to see your need for Jesus. So how do you receive this? You do it by faith. Faith is not something you can see, but it's something you're convinced that's right and it's true. And it changes the priority in which you live your life. Your hope to be saved comes through you trusting in Christ. And I know that it may not make any sense to trust in something that you cannot see, but there is something in your heart telling you today to acknowledge Christ and what He's done by surrendering to His call. This call that's beckoning you to confess Christ as Lord, as the leader of your life and your only hope and source of salvation. That you would acknowledge your sin, that you would cry out to Him that you need Jesus. Scripture says, those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you're calling on the name of Jesus to be saved today, we would love to know what's going on in your life and what God's doing. No matter where in the world that you may live, we would love to connect you and help you to grow in this ongoing relationship with Jesus and show you what that looks like and help you get connected to a community of people who are also growing in their relationship with Jesus because we believe that we are better together. We are called to live in light of eternity. And my hope is that today you are saying yes to that greater thing. Church, we're not called to live in fear, but rather we're called to deepen our trust and to live like it every single day. To live like the future matters because it does. To live like Jesus is coming back because he is. To live like there is a bodily resurrection of the dead because there is. For us to live with an eternal priority, especially when the rest of the world is gripped by fear. Not only for our own sake should we live with this priority and trust and hope, but also for those around us, the watching world, our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, the people that we may see in the grocery store that the Holy Spirit may impress upon our hearts and may be wanting to empower us with a gift from the Holy Spirit to minister to them the gospel so that they may have hope. Are you, are you open to that? Are you, are you looking for that? Are you actively seeking those opportunities? Or are we so narrowly focused on ourselves that we're missing saying yes to greater things? I want to encourage you, church. Say yes to greater things with your family, with your relationships, and to the opportunities around you. It's not about you having all the answers because greater is He who is in you. 
It's about the Holy Spirit using you. Are you, are you looking? Are you, are you available? Are, are, you, are you desiring to be used? I want us to go out of whatever the season is and, 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 and whatever connections and interactions we have with other people, whether it's online, whether it's in the chat room right now, or, 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 or whether it's in your own living room, whether it's later on today. I want us to go into those situations being ready to minister hope to others, whatever that may look like. We can't do this on our own, so let's ask the Lord for his help. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would do what only you can do in us and through us. We lean into you. We depend on you. So Lord, use us, whatever brings you glory. We are vessels to be used for your glory, and we are here saying, yes, Lord, during this time where we could say yes to self, we want to say yes to you. Whatever that looks like, help us to lean into you, to have the trust that you are working in us and through us to what brings you pleasure, what brings you glory, what does the most good for the most people and what brings you the focus and the attention. Lord, help us to be anxiously awaiting your return and living like eternity matters. Help us to reprioritize our life in a way that would honor you and reprioritize the purpose in which we've been living for. Help us to say yes to greater things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today online. If you need anything, please reach out to the church. You can always share these things on social media to encourage other people. There's tons of resources for kids and teens on the website, wog.church. Make sure that you use that as a tool. Reach out, connect to other people, and if the church can help you, we would love to be able to be a resource to help you however we can or to put you in touch with the right people to make sure that you're being cared for as well during this time. Before we all uh, sign off, I just want to say number 6 and 24, it says, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon each and every one of you and give you his peace. God bless you, word of grace. <laughs>